0: Well, tonight you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter two is where we'll start tonight. Uh, I was very excited to get here tonight uh, just to, to begin teaching this, uh, teaching this, uh, that Christ is our king. For the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at that Christ is our prophet and our priest. Tonight, we'll look at the, this final office that he is also king And uh, and what that means Now you and I don't you know, we we don't really get this whole language of king and kingdom because we don't live in this um, monarchy. We live in in the United States of America. It's a democracy. We we don't really look to one man uh, being the sole authority over the nation. We look to the government of the people, by the people, for the people. So it kind of loses something on us. Um, But I want you to see that Christ is this sole authority. And I don't want you to see it in this lens or through this lens of, uh, of this earthly kingdom. I want you to see it, that this is the God of the universe who has every right to rule and to reign over your life, my life our church, our nation, the world, and has the ability to do so. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So let me just start by reviewing just a, just a minute or two. Um, the first week we came together and we, we looked at these three offices, prophet, priest, and king, and we said that Christ is our prophet. Somebody remind me how Christ is our prophet. How does Christ specifically fulfill that office that he is our prophet? Yeah, he yeah, he speaks forth the word of God. Um, He he does that in a couple different ways. He was both the subject of all of the prophecy of the Old Testament. And then also when he came in those New Testament times, he not only was the subject, but he was the source. You remember we talked about that the Old Testament prophets would say, thus says the Lord. But when Jesus came and when he would stand and teach, he taught as one who had authority he would say things like, but I say to you. So he brought the word of God to us, still today speaks the word to us. All of what we know about God, we see in Christ. We know in Christ. We would not know God were it not for Christ, our prophet, bringing him to us. And then we talked about last week that Christ is our priest. How is, how is Christ our priest? Anybody? Angie, you're smiling. You're, you're a teacher. I'll just call on you right here. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. He, he is the perfect sacrifice, sacrifice, and he is that priest. He not only was the sacrifice, but he was the one who offered the sacrifice. He continually brings us into the presence of God. We don't have to come through a man anymore. Remember, we talked about that you don't have to there's nothing wrong with coming up here to these steps, but we don't I don't like referring to this as an altar because you don't need to come and bring a sacrifice and lay it here because the sacrifice has already been made. Christ is the high priest and the sacrifice. You can come to these steps and pray as a visible demonstration of what God's doing in your heart and what he's calling you to but you don't need to come to these because you can go to God anywhere. You don't need to come to me to get to God. You better not come to me to get to God because you can't through me. You come through Jesus, your perfect sacrifice and your perfect high priest. Then tonight we, we look at the fact that Jesus is also king. That he is our king. And let me just... Um, I've got about four or five different ways um, or, or kind of a, I guess, the logic or the progression of his, his kingship or his kingdom throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, the kings had every right to rule and to reign over the nation of Israel. There was a time when the, nations, the nation of Israel did not have a king. But they wanted to have a king like the other nations around them. And so God consented. And Saul was their first king. And then David. And then there was a succession of kings after that. And the king in Israel from that point had the right, the ability to reign over them. Then in the New Testament, Jesus was born to be king of the Jews. He was to be king of the Jews. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now. How in the world did these wise men. How did they make this connection? How did they come to this king, Herod, who had been appointed by the Romans to be king of Israel? How did how did they come to him and say, where is this one born king of the Jews? This infuriated Herod because he was king of the Jews. There cannot be another king. So what are they talking about? Well, they're probably referring back to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. When they say, who is this one? We saw his star who is born king of the Jews. Listen, you don't have to turn there. numbers 24, verse 17 in Balaam's prophecy says, I see him, but not now I behold him, but not near a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And while they were not Jews themselves, they were familiar with this prophecy and had looked for. And this star that had appeared at the birth of Christ to them was the fulfillment of this prophecy. It announced the birth of not just another king of the Jews, but the king of the Jews. Jesus comes in the New Testament To be king of the Jews. Jesus was born to be king of the Jews. But what do we see in the New Testament? What do we see in the Gospels? When Jesus was living his earthly ministry, he's been born to be king of the Jews. What was his attitude toward those who wanted to make him an earthly king? He rejected it, right? He refused it. He wouldn't let them make him an earthly king. Many times it says that he retreated when he when he realized that they wanted to come and make take him by force and make him king, that he would somehow vanish from them. He would get away from them. He would leave the situation altogether. Then just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the triumphal entry. Jesus, for the first time in his earthly ministry, when he rides into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey's colt, he doesn't reject their cries. You remember that? He comes to be this king of the Jews. Most of the time he rejects them wanting to make him an earthly king. But then toward the end of his earthly ministry, he rides in on the back of this colt. And when they cry out, in fact, let's just look at. um, Well, let me let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, First off, he announced the arrival of his kingdom in his preaching. Okay, we see him. He rejects them wanting to make him an earthly king. But then he announces that he is a king in his preaching. Let's look at a few uh, passages turn to Matthew chapter four. Matthew four, verse 17. Even though Jesus, even at this time, is refusing to let them make him their earthly king. Look at what he says in verse four or chapter four, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven has come. Verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then he turn over to chapter 12, Matthew 12, verses 22 through 28. It's kind of a long section, but let me read it here. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Now, who was David? He was the king. And they said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by, by whom do you cast? Do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus here, obviously, in this language, I don't have the time to go into all of what he's talking about there, but obviously in this language, even though he's refusing their attempts to make him their earthly king to deliver them from Roman tyranny, he's still talking this language of the kingdom of God has come. If I'm doing what I'm doing by the Spirit of God, then the Kingdom of God has come. Preaching the Kingdom, He announces it in His preaching. He also, we see in Scripture that He is the true King of this new people of God. He didn't rebuke those who, tried, who cried out at the triumphal entry. This is where I was getting ahead of myself a minute ago. He doesn't rebuke them. Turn to Luke chapter 19. On Sunday mornings, we've been looking at Mark. Let me show you Luke's recording of this. Verse 38, Luke 19. He rides in on the coals of the donkey and in verse 38, they're saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at this in Mark, I pointed out to you that those crying out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. Really, their idea of his kingdom was one that was earthly, where he would come in, kick the Romans out, and they would be free to live their earthly kingdom again. But the reality is, even in this triumphal entry, there are some in this crowd who have been enlightened by God to who he is, and they are praising him. They are calling him the king, the son of God, and he doesn't refuse it. He doesn't reject it at all. If if Jesus is no king. Then he would reject this. If he's God and he's right and he never sins and they were calling him a king and he wasn't a king, it would be wrong for him to accept that. But he doesn't. He doesn't reject it. He accepts it. Follow me here. Go to Matthew chapter 21. Go back to Matthew chapter 21 verses four and five. Again, we're here at this triumphal entry. In verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Not only are the people crying out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, this king. But here we see hundreds of years before this scripture prophesying that the king would come in this way. So when Jesus rides in on the colt of a donkey, he is not just not refusing their claim, but he is endorsing it by. Fulfilling this prophecy. Turn over to John chapter one, verses forty four through fifty. John 144. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now look at Jesus' response in verse 50. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? Jesus here doesn't reject it. He doesn't deny it. He embraces it. He rides in on the donkey. He says to these ones like Nathaniel and others, yes, you are right. When he's questioned before his crucifixion, are you the king of the Jews? They tell me you're the king of the Jews. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now we could say, Well, look, there he's rejecting that he's a king. No. He's embracing, affirming that he is a king. His kingdom is just not the one they thought was coming. His kingdom is not of this world, but he does have this kingdom. And I would say to you tonight, as your pastor, as a teacher of God's Word, what is clear from scripture, what is clear from the universe, is that Jesus is not just a king, but He is the king. And He has every right to rule and to reign over my life, my family, my job, my church, my country, And I could substitute your name in there as well. He is truly king. He is our ruler. Let me go on. So Jesus comes in the history of the Old Testament. The king had every right to rule and reign over Israel. Jesus comes to be born as king of the Jews. But he... Doesn't let them take him to be their earthly king, but yet he doesn't reject that he is a king. He both preaches about it and he embraces their claims on his life. Then he goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He's put into the tomb. Three days later, he comes out of the tomb. He is resurrected and then he ascends and he goes where? To the what? The right hand of the father. The right hand, if you remember, is one of the positions that James and John wanted to claim in the kingdom. Jesus, after he is resurrected, goes to the position that they wanted to be in because he is truly the king. He goes to the position of honor. He goes to the throne. Somehow, in some way, after his resurrection, the Father gave Jesus greater authority both over the church and over the universe. Let me show you this in scripture. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now, you can take that in one of a couple different ways. That's talking about the angelic realm. He is far above any angel, whether they be holy or unholy, whether they be good or whether they be demonic, whether they are the seraphim or whether they are Lucifer himself. Jesus, here upon his resurrection, is. Given this position, this authority that is far above any angelic creature. But also the other way is he is given authority that is far above any ruler or dominion or power of this earth. There is no president or king or Dictator who has ever lived or who will ever live, who has greater authority or even authority that is close. To the authority of Christ. His is far above. I think the point the scripture is making here is that whatever it is, whether it is angelic or whether it is human or whether it is something else creaturely, if it has been made, he is far above it. Now, think about that. What is there that has not been made? God alone. He is God. Upon his resurrection, he is given this authority by the father that is far above. Every rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Get that there is no time limit on this. There is not one coming on the horizon who will be greater than him. Do you? Isn't that good news? There is no world power coming that can ever knock him off his throne. We should pray for our nation, as Wallace has reminded us to tonight. But take heart, citizen of the United States. That you are not just a citizen of the United States, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Turn also to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Boy, I'm out of time. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is our king. All authority has been given to him. After his resurrection, the father gave Jesus greater authority over the church and over the universe. It's heading toward this day. You say, well, but we don't see that authority yet. I mean, we do see it, but we don't see it fully realized yet. I mean, there's still all kinds of sin in our world today. You don't have to look very far. Look at the riots that are going on uh, across the pond. I mean, there's all kinds of sinfulness all around us. So if he is truly the king, then why doesn't he do something about it? Oh, he will. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19:11. then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse, no longer a donkey, no longer the colt of a donkey. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Amen. This is our king. This is the one who came humbly riding the colt of a donkey. This is the one who rejected their attempts to make him earthly king in their way in their time. This is the one who preached about, though, a kingdom that was real and was coming and had come. This is the king who has the name that is above every other name that one day. One day, according to Philippians chapter 2, one day every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow before that king. They will all, every tongue, will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what should our response be? Our response should not be, that's right, God, get him." When we read passages like Revelation 19 and Philippians 2, that is our sinful, controlled by the flesh thought. That's right, God, get them. Call down fire. But the reality is, it is the grace, it is the love, it is the patience and the mercy. The same grace, patience, and mercy and love that called you and me to Him is now waiting. For us to take the message of the gospel to them so that they don't have to be the recipients of the fire in that day. And Don't, church, do not let that be the assignment for some over there. That is your assignment and it is my assignment for right here where we live and work and play every single day your neighbor across the street, the co-worker that that you're in the same cubicle with or whatever it might be, the person maybe living under your own roof. You have been assigned to take the message of the kingdom and the mission of the king to whoever, whoever would listen. All authority has been given to him. He now tells you to go. Make disciples. Tells me to go and make disciples. Aren't you glad that we have a king? Not just a king who is sitting on some throne in some office in some city, but he is the king of kings, Lord of lords, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Nothing will ever knock him off. One day he's coming back. One day we will reign with him in glory. But until that day, we need I tweeted yesterday. Boy, I'm off on a tangent. I'm sorry, I'm out of time. I tweeted yesterday that more of us need to quit seeing ourselves as citizens of the kingdom and seeing ourselves as ambassadors for the king. Let me leave you with that thought. Let's pray together. For Jesus, God, we don't deserve to be loved by you. We don't deserve to be able to reciprocate that love to you. We don't have that ability within us, but God, you have reached out to us. You have loved us first. You have brought us near. And God, I pray that that would so infiltrate our lives that we would lay down our arms. We would lay down our weapons of treason and God that we would. Find ourselves enlisted in the army of the king. God, would you call us out of our complacency and our tyranny? And God, would you spur us on and use us to spur one another on to the good works for the advance of your kingdom? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.